What's up, everybody? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. It's your host, Chelsea Reif. And today, it is one of the most anticipated episodes of the year, my year in review business edition. You all know I love transparency and context, and I love to share what's going on behind the scenes because often this is what I wish people would share. This is why I love the podcast, how I built this with Guy Raz, because people are so open about what they did to get where they are, like asking family members for help, draining their 401k to be able to support their vision, you know, depending on their partner to pay the bills while they were eating ramen every day to be able to support themselves. Like that's the stuff I value because it paints a real picture of what's happening on Instagram. We've all made it extremely aspirational to share what's going on there. I'm very much part of that too. I don't want you to think my whole life is aspirational and that every day is a win 10 out of 10 rainbows and butterflies. Of course, I've had extremely hard days where I wanted to throw in the towel and be like, what the hell am I doing? Let me just get a steady paycheck. And on the other hand, I'm like, steady paycheck is kind of an illusion too. I know so many people that got laid off this year and it happened at my company multiple times, especially when I was in sales, like salespeople are usually the first to go. And that was going to be my role if I went back to corporate America. So it's like either way, there's risk. It's just which risk game do you want to be a part of and what lights you up more? And for me, the entrepreneur route is what I want to keep pursuing. So today I'm going to take you behind the scenes of my business, the numbers, the mechanics of what went on behind the scenes, the really hard conversations, some very, very sad things that happen. Like, yes, I had an amazing year. And also really sad things happened. Both can be true. So that's what I want to open up about today is like the duality of you don't have to have a good year or a bad year. Your business is not doing great or not great. It's usually both. Like your business is doing great, but maybe your anxiety is really high and your relationship is struggling and you're like, wait, I want to like work on that. Or it's the opposite. You're like, I'm loving my life. And like, you know what? I didn't put that much effort into my business this year. And so it didn't grow that much. And like, that's okay too, because I had an amazing year with my family and friends. I think both can be true. So I made a list of about 11 things that I wanted to share that happened in my business this year that I learned. And then super exciting, we got our first voice notes into the podcast. That's me clapping. (laughs) So if you want to leave a voice note, go to my show notes and you can leave a voice note up to one minute. I will plug these voice notes into the episodes and then answer them on air. So I have two voice notes that came in. And then I had a few people write in questions into my Instagram stories. So sometimes I'll throw up a story box and then ask you what you want me to answer on air. So be sure to follow me on Instagram at Chelsea Rife so you can throw some of those questions in and then I'll answer them. We have about five or six of those to answer today and I will sprinkle them throughout the life lessons learned and everything that just went on behind Rife Media LLC, which is the official name of my business. Okay, so all the nosy Nellies, I know you're eagerly awaiting to hear the numbers. You're like, oh, is she going to share those? Like, I don't know. Yes, I'm going to share them. And I'm going to add context and what happened. Because again, I think this is the debate I've been having in Instagram stories is people share their income. And I'm here for it for the expansion of like what's possible, right? I didn't know people made $10,000 a month until I started seeing that people made $10,000 a month. I didn't know people made $100,000 a month until I started seeing that. So I'm very much in the camp of, of course, I want to expand my mind to what's possible. I also know a lot of people who make a lot of money a month and don't know how to manage it. And they're broke. Like truly, they don't have any money to live or they're living off credit cards and their credit score tanked. And now they probably can't buy a home or they don't know where their money goes. And so they're just promoting their income, getting all these new clients in the door But again, their expenses are so high or they don't know how to manage their money. It's like that's not a sustainable business model. Money sells and sex sells. I understand why people use their income to market their offers, right? It makes sense because if you're a business coach and business is heavily tied to finance, you want to share your finances. However, if we were being honest about that, we would be sharing the whole scope of like our operational expenses, our revenue, our salary, our everything, right? And I don't think people do that because A, They don't have those numbers. They actually only know their income. They don't really keep track of anything else. B, they don't feel the need to. So they're like, I don't really need to share that because I'm trying to show how I generate sales. So sharing all the behind the scenes is kind of irrelevant because I'm trying to teach people, you know, just how to generate revenue. Or maybe C, they just don't feel like it. And they're like, "Mm, no, I don't want to share. Like you can take it for what it is. You can leave it. You don't have to work with me. And I think all ways are up to the person. I don't think there's a right way to do this. 
do I have an opinion on it? Yes, but I don't, I'm not God. <laughs> like, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to share your income or not share your income. You're entitled to do whatever you want. For me, I just know, like, I've been around a lot of wealthy people that seem wealthy on the outside. And it's like, they're actually not wealthy. They have a shit ton of credit card debt. They have no liquidation assets. Like, they have no money in the actual bank. And they're filing for bankruptcy, even though they make millions of dollars. That's why I'm always a little bit skeptical of buying into people that only share their income numbers because I'm like, do you actually know how to run a sustainable business? And B, I don't actually know what you teach if you're always sharing your income number, right? Does that make sense? Like if every day I'm just seeing that you had a 20K day, a $40,000 launch, a pay in full client, I have no understanding of what you are teaching people in your programs. Are you teaching people launch strategy? Are you teaching people how to automate their workflows? Are you teaching people sales? I have no idea because you never talk about it because you're always sharing your income, right? That's why I don't like buying into people that just share their income. That doesn't impress me. That impressed me two and a half years ago. And go listen to my episodes two and a half years ago. You will hear that I invested in every single program under the sun and got no return. A, because I was very, very new and had like no idea how to discern these things. And B, because everything was flashing a number at me. And I was like, of course, I want to be rich in six months and bypass all the obstacles and get to where this person is. And that wasn't the way for me to go. So that's why I no longer invest in people based on income numbers alone. To me, it's like a cherry on top. I'm like, cool, great. You know how to generate sales. That's amazing. But if I don't understand what you help people with and your client's success, right? Like if I see that your client's come out of your programs and all of them are like broke, have no money, don't have a thriving business, can't show anything for it. I'm like, then what, what's the point of sharing that you had a 20K launch? Like that doesn't really mean a lot to me. That means you actually aren't invested in your clients. You're invested in your own bottom line. Okay. So I, woo, that was a little rant, but this is why I wanted to start off with sharing my numbers because I really think it's going to paint a full picture for you. By the way, there's different definitions of success for everybody. So I'm going to talk about this in this whole episode, but like my numbers to me don't activate me in any way because my quality of life is so amazing right now. I have free time. I have white space in my calendar. I talk to my friends and family all the time. I stay in connection with people. I value connections with people. I make time to really build a life that makes sense for me. So numbers to me, like, I know this sounds a bit crazy because numbers are so important, but numbers to me are one factor of success, but it's not the full thing. Now, before I share my numbers, we have to do a quick vocab quiz. Do you know what revenue means? Do you know what profit means? Do you know what expenses are? Do you know what sales are? These are all very important to understand the full picture. So I'm going to break this down for you. Drum roll, please. That was a mini drum roll on my keypad. So the amount of transactions processed this year, as of December 22nd, right? There's still about, what, nine days left in the year. The amount of Stripe transactions processed that hit my bank account this year are around $70,000. And I say around because it's like 70,100. It's like a weird number. So that is what has been processed through Stripe. However, the amount of contracts I've sold. So if you add up all the contracts in my year is around $93,000. So, so do you understand that? Because I remember being like, what the hell? Like, how are these numbers so different for everybody? <laughs> Because people don't pay me in full every time. People are on payment plans. So I've sold around $93,000, but what Stripe has processed is around $70,000 because some people are on six-month payment plans, so their payment plan has not processed yet in this month, right? Like they're going to be paying in January, February, March. So I will see the rest of that money into next year. Now, I'm happy to report that is slightly above than what I made last year. And I say slightly above because I think last year what I had sold, like the transactions that came through were around like 68,000. So, you know, 70 to 75,000. The reason I say 75 is because I'm expecting a few contracts to come in this or next week. That is growth. I think if I were to look at this any other way, it could be deemed a failure, right? Oh my God, I didn't make six figures. 
oh my God, I only grew by like two to 7,000. That's really not that big. Oh my God, how did you not double your revenue from last year? Um, I grew more than I did last year. I refuse to look at my numbers that way because that's going to create a shame inducing spiral that will constantly have me chasing money for no other reason than to say that I have a certain amount of money. My quality of life right now is the quality of life that I imagined to have if I were a multiple six figure owner. So this is something I really want to pause and reflect on. When you think of why you want more money, why do you want more money? Is it because you want to buy better food for yourself? Do you want more support for your business? Do you want more free time in your schedule? Do you wish you could take more vacations? Like truly, what is the reason? So when I reflect back on five years ago when I quit my job because I didn't like the lifestyle and the stress I was going through, the reasons why I wanted to quit were to create a better quality of life for myself and help people at the same time while I was doing it. If I'm looking at my numbers through that lens this year, I have absolutely done that. I have traveled to 20 different cities. I've lived in five or six different countries. I've made 20 new friends. I've expanded my mind to what's possible tenfold. I have created incredible connections with my clients. I've gotten better at my craft. I've taken my health more seriously. I've bonded with people on a deeper level right? Like if I'm looking at the wheel of life, the wheel of life this year was not skewed only to business and finances, which I'm very proud of myself for because I have been in the era of like, who cares? I'm just going to hit six figures no matter what, whatever I do, whoever I have to talk to, whatever means I have to get there, I'm just going to make six figures. That's not a way to live. I lived that way for about six months. I burned out. I wanted to shut down my business. My relationship suffered. My health suffered. And I was like, so what is all this for? <laughs> like, why would I chase six figures if everything else in my life is suffering? So I can just say I have six figures and I have nothing to show for it with the quality of my life. So I really want you to think about what is your quality of life now? And maybe you already have some of the things that are in your future vision. So this is something I really had to sit with myself this year is when I think of like my bigger dreams and my bigger vision, they're just amplifications of what I already have. They're not so far off and so unimaginable and like will never happen in my life. They're just amplifications of what I have now. And I am at peace knowing that I am where I'm meant to be because I know a next level of success is going to require more of me. It's going to require me to take my health more seriously. It's going to require me more leadership skills because I'm going to have to outsource more and learn how to manage more people. It's going to require me to learn how to manage my money better so that I can hire more people and hire more support. It's going to require a different mindset to be able to receive that level of success that I'm feeling. And I'm growing into that. And I know that, right? I am accepting that I'm growing into that. I am not beating myself up for not already being there. So if you're beating yourself up or not hitting six figures or anything with the six figures, 10K month, you know, the marketing buzzwords that we see, you need to take a step back and be like, if I had that money, what was I going to do with it? And perhaps I already am living some of the pieces in the vision board that I have in my head or on my computer screen or whatever. And like lean into that, that you've already created most of it and you're just amplifying it with the money that you bring in. Okay, so... 70K transactions that came through Stripe, around 93K in sales, like the actual contracts that make up my 2022 year. Again, if I sell another contract this month, which I am expecting to do, then I can say I had 100K in sales. So do you see why I also don't really buy in income numbers? Because I'm like, you can kind of spin it however you want. If I sell this one contract and say I had 100K year, to me... I'm like, but it doesn't feel like that because I have 70K in transactions and I'm going to get to my expenses in a second. Like, I don't really feel like I had 100K a year. And my expenses are so high that I won't turn a profit this year. So what that means is like, I spent more than I made on my business. I have so much support. I have a VA. I hired a launch strategist this year. I hired an agency to help pitch me on podcasts. I have a podcast editing team. I hired a brand strategist. I rebranded. I hired a copywriter. I have a million softwares. I would say like 90% of my life is like business expenses. So 
if you're like, I don't understand then how you live. Like if you're in the red, how do you live your life? Um, there's a thing called credit cards. There's a thing called living in cheap countries where your expenses are really low, like cost of living. There's a thing called living with your parents and not having to pay rent. There's a thing called cooking at home where you pay um, very little money to cook at home and you don't spend all your money eating out. Those are all things I did this year. I lived at home from last October, maybe even September, until July when I left for remote year and I paid $0 in rent. I also took out a 0% APR credit card, meaning I don't have to pay interest on it for, I think mine is 18 months. So I don't have to pay it off until next December. I won't get hit with any interest rates. I use that to pay for a remote year. And then I had another credit card, PayPal credit, which is six months of 0% interest. I use that to pay for a lot of the higher ticket things like the launch strategist and the agency. And I'm paying that off with the payment plan. Basically what happens is when anyone pays me, I have a money management system that goes to all these different expenses. I put like 30% aside for taxes and then I pay off a lot of my credit card and then I give myself some to like live with, you know, go out to dinner and pay for drinks and fun things like that. And then I'll try to put some in savings too. Now my budget changes all the time because my lifestyle changes a lot. I'm traveling. I have months of growth. I have months where I'm in a lull. I have months where I'm investing more. So every month it changes. This is why I also really like don't buy into the 10K months thing because I'm like, again, you could have had a 10K month, but then you spent 10K on a coach. So then you broke even, or you made 20K, but you spent 40K. So you're in the red 20K. Like that's why I'm like, just numbers are numbers. They're just there to paint a picture and like help us understand bigger vision, what's happening in our business. But I don't like, even right now saying this, I'm not activated by sharing my numbers. If anything, I feel like some of you all might be surprised because I think the way people perceive me from all this traveling and how I'm living my life is that I'm a multiple six-figure earner or definitely at least a six-figure earner. And I'm like, no, guys, I live in cheap countries. I live in South Africa right now. It's $3 Ubers, $15 grocery store trips. My Pilates class is like $12 a class. You know what I mean? Like, my cost of living is so cheap here, and it was also extremely cheap in other countries. When I go to Colombia... I heard Ubers are $1. You can get things delivered to you like in bulk for like $5. This is why living abroad is so nice for me because my dollar goes further and I can help these different economies and live a lifestyle that I want to live. Right now I'm recording this. I am looking out at the ocean. I have a balcony. I have a beautiful, huge studio, Airbnb, laundry, everything, right? Like everything that I want. In America, this would have cost me two to $3,000 a month. Here, it cost me like $900. And then with Airbnb fees, like a thousand. So this is why I like adding transparency and context, because I'm like, you could perceive all this travel because Americans, I, I think, tend to perceive travel as being really luxury all the time, that I'm spending like so much money on my expenses month to month. And that's not the case. By the way, that was the case in remote year. I was living in remote year as if I was a millionaire. <laughs> like I was swiping it up with the credit cards. I was like, Woo, who cares? We're going to go bungee jumping, running a road trip, running to get a table at the club. And that was very much like the herd mentality was that everyone was like, let's just have fun for four months and like we'll deal with this after. That's not going to be my life for the rest of my life. I am going on a remote year trip in February and March. So I already know my like costs are going to go up a little bit then, even though they're in cheap countries, it's like, I'll probably be more social. And that's why I wanted to live in South Africa for a little bit because a it's summer. It's beautiful. I love the people. I love the food. I love the culture and B the cost of living here is really low. So my dollar goes further and I can stabilize a little bit from all the traveling I did and spending summer in Europe. Okay. So, wow. Uh, just to recap 70 K in transactions around hundred K in sales. I'm not turning a profit this year because my expenses are so high. What else? I mean, I think that's all you really need to know. Okay. Since that took like half the episode, let's try to speed this up. One of the biggest lessons I learned this year is do not ignore your gut or intuition. I knew when I was planning out my remote year trip in the summer and the rest of the year that I shouldn't launch anything big while I was traveling because I knew I'm probably going to get caught up in all the socializing. I studied abroad when I was younger, and I knew that when you're with 27 people doing all these fun things every day, 
you're going to want to join. You don't want to miss happy hour sangria on a rooftop on a Thursday. And you definitely don't want to miss bungee jumping in South Africa. And you're for sure not going to miss the concert in Ibiza. So why would I launch anything? Well, that was my thought process. And then I launched something. This is why I hired a launch strategist because I was like, I really need help cleaning up my launches. Because if you heard my last year business in review, that was one of my biggest, biggest learning lessons was like, I didn't know how to launch. I would have an idea, throw it out to the world, then make a payment link and then give myself like five days to market it and then be like, why is no one signing up? It's such a good idea. And I'm like, that's not how you launch. So I really needed to clean that up this year. And because I was, um, I had one-on-one clients for so much of the first half of the year, I didn't really have to do like any big type of launch. And when I did this launch, I was like, okay, it needs to be more structured. So I hired a launch strategist, but we were working with such different time zones. And then when I actually started putting things together, it would be like, I'm working and then I would miss out on a fun social event or I would go to the social event. And then that was like time that I didn't have time to like plan or record episodes or create social media content or whatever. And so I feel like I should have waited to launch that program until I was done traveling and it would have saved me a lot of headaches and cleaned up a little bit of like the back end process of things. We got it done. We saw it a great launch and it actually was like my best completion rate of the course. This is mic drop. Like 95% of the people that took it launched a podcast, which to me is the measure of success of mic drop, right? Like how many people actually launch. So I'm very happy about that because it proves that the course material really works I'm not happy with how I felt during the launch. I don't like feeling rushed and disorganized and chaotic and like last minute. And I mean, this is something I'm working on in general as I tend to leave things until the last minute and I work quote unquote best under pressure. And so I'm trying to really work on mapping out longer launches and committing to them. But yeah, my gut told me like, do not launch this while you're on this trip. And I still did it. And I was like, yeah, I should have waited. So that's number one. Number two, Qualify clients more because not everything is worth the sale. So in my old job, I remember we used to have a button inside our CRM software Salesforce. CRM is customer relationship management. So we had all these different accounts, all these different leads, et cetera. And it would say like, is this lead qualified or not? And I was like, what the hell does qualified mean? Like, I literally didn't know what that meant for like three years in my job. I just was like, oh, that's a fancy marketing word. And then I finally learned these are people that are ready to buy that actually have the resources and value what you are selling. And you qualify people by doing discovery calls and figuring out where they are in their journey. So here's an example. Let's say you were selling a $10,000 package and then you get on a discovery call with someone and they're like, oh yeah, I've never invested in a coach. I was thinking, you know, my budget's around $100 to $200. And yeah, I could never see myself spending more than that. I don't have a business yet. And I'm really looking forward to investing in you because I think I could make six figures this year. That to me, sirens go off. This person is not qualified to buy a $10,000 package. Not only do they not have a business, but now they're going to expect you to create their business for them and make six figures. They have a maximum budget of $200. Your program is $10,000. They are not in any way, shape, or form qualified to be working with you based on what they've told you. Now, how can you qualify them is asking them that, right? Like, where are you in your journey? Why is this important to you? What are you expecting out of working with me? What have you carved out for this? Why do you think this is the support that you need? There are so many different ways to qualify people. Literally go Google discovery questions for sales calls. Like you will find amazing ways to qualify people. As soon as you start going back to number one, feeling into your gut and intuition, as soon as you start feeling any red flags go off, you should address that on the call. So let's go to the example of the girl who has $200, but you're a $10,000 package coach. That's something that you should address right then and there. You do not want to wait until the end and be like, okay, yeah, let's work together. And then she's like, okay, I think I'm gonna have to like take out a loan or a credit card. You know, what's going to happen is that person is going to start freaking out about money They're going to default on their payments. They're going to try to get out of the contract and they're going to have to put you in a position where literally they can't pay their bill. And so you're going to have to sign a new client, let them go deal with some issues on the back end. Like it's just going to create so much stress. So if I heard that, I would not wait until the end and try to pitch them. I would be like, okay, so you carved out $200. Just so you know, my six month program is actually $10,000. 
$200 is more in the scope of what I charge for a consult. I'm happy to offer you a one hour consult for $200. That's the easiest and most accessible way to work with me at that level. But I think my six month program might be out of your budget. Let's regroup when you feel like you're more resourced and we can have a chat then. So not only are you helping them, you're still offering them your time. You can still help them at a lower price point, but you're not pushing them into something that they're not ready for. And again, that they are not qualified for. Any red flag that goes off, you need to address in the moment, okay? It's not worth the sale. I'm telling you now, I dealt with this this year. I dealt with this last year. I dealt with this in the first year of my business. I was always so excited that people could work with me that I would pitch them like any way to work with me. Like, oh my God, we can do a 12-month payment plan. We can do this. We can do that. We can do the other thing. I Yeah, I can work with this company to take your credit card. I can do like whatever. And I'm still very flexible, by the way. But I learned that I was ignoring the red flags. So when people were telling me very specific things that showed me like maybe they weren't qualified to be a client, I was just ignoring it because I was like, who cares? They said they want to work with me. Let's get this sale. Woo. Like more sales. Yay. Amazing business person. And I'm like, that's actually not really being an integrity either because then I'm pushing them into something that they're not ready for. And when they're not ready for it, not only are they not going to see the value, they're not going to see a transformation. So it's not even worth the time right? A point of a client working with me is so they see a transformation. You're paying me so that you don't have to do it yourself so that you can do it either in a more simple way, in a faster way, in a more structured way, in an easier way, right? Like you pay someone to take the stress off of you. So if a client is coming to me and they're not going to see any transformation, then what would be the point of taking them on as a client? They're truly not qualified and not ready. Okay. So the way you fix this is by asking better questions up front if you don't do discovery calls, have an application form, have an intake form, have something where you're not just signing people up on like first go. If you're just expecting people to sign up with you for a $10,000 package without ever talking to them, I don't know how you do that. To me, that's risky business. And I've done a, a little too much risky business. And I know now that I need to do a better job of qualifying people. And again, not everything is worth the sale. I promise you dealing with failed payments, having to let clients go, having to have really hard conversations with people. It's just not worth it. You can have a better experience as a business owner and they will have a better experience as a customer when you are more honest with them. It's a very weird paradox. Like you think if you make the sale, you're winning, but actually you're in integrity when you say, Hey, I actually think this is not the best fit for you right now. Here's other offers and ways to work with me. Or why don't we regroup in like six months to a year? They're going to trust you more and be like, wow, I appreciate that she didn't just push me into a sale. Okay. This is where I'm going to sprinkle in a listener question. Someone asked, when did you know it was time for a VA or OBM? So VA is virtual assistant. OBM is online business manager. Uh, very early on, thank God, I actually took a six month mastermind when I first started coaching. And I actually started out as like a mindset slash life coach. And I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I Googled, how do you launch a course? And then I found a course on creating a course. And I signed up with that person. And when I was about to start the course, they're like, oh, we actually have this six month business mastermind where we'll not only teach you how to launch a course, we're going to teach you everything from like hiring, task management, money management, like the whole nine yards. So I was like, you know what? Sounds great. I took that course and I remember the VA was very involved with the coach. So we even had some calls where the VA would lead them. I would always see the VA in the Facebook group. I always saw her sending the emails, the call reminders. And I'm a very observant person. I quickly learned like this is a well-oiled machine because this woman is here as support for the coach. And this is why the coach is able to like produce so much content. This coach was like constantly putting out videos and trainings and live workshops. I was like, how the hell is she doing all this and all the back end stuff? And then I realized she wasn't. The VA was. Then we had a training with the VA and then she showed us how she set up her day, how she helps the coach set up her day. So it was very clear to me that this is a team effort. Like this coach is not successful on her own. It's because she has this like Robin next to her, right? She was Batman. This woman was Robin. They were a dream team. I was like, okay, wow. Yeah, I understand now she needs support. So before I even launched my first course, I remember being like, I'm going to need a VA. And I quickly mapped out what I would need help with. For me, I absolutely hate doing all the backend stuff. I hate sending call reminders and links and uploads and 
adding video titles into the course portal, like all these little things that you don't think about that you start to realize are really big pieces of the puzzle when you're creating a business. I was like, I'm going to need help with that stuff. So before I launched my first course, I hired this VA. She was $25 an hour and I hired her for five hours a month. So it was $125. And that five hours, you all probably saved me months of headaches, weeks of stress, Like I cannot express how much that five hours saved me. And this is the funniest thing that, again, is a paradox. We're like, oh, well, all these little tasks, like I can just do myself. Why would I pay $125 when like I could just go into my email account and send the reminders myself? That's not that hard. Why would I outsource the calendar invites? Like that takes two seconds. And this is the illusion we have is all these tiny tasks are tiny. So we think they're not breaking us away from bigger things, but they are. I realized that when I was trying to set up all the Slack channel reminders and create the call calendar invites and create the custom Zoom links and create the email template, all that stuff was going to take way too long and take me away from actually creating the real course content and attracting clients. I had a million other things to do. I had finances. I had to do social media. I had to do the podcast. I had to serve clients. Like I knew I didn't have time to do all the other stuff. So yeah, I realized before I even had my first course that I needed to be a I think you need to be specific about what support you need. A really good exercise I saw online, I think this is almost the same as like a SWOT analysis, is like, what am I good at and what what do I like doing? What am I good at but hate doing? What am I bad at but like doing? And what am I bad at and hate doing? So I know that's like a riddle, but it helps me understand where to spend my time and energy and outsource. So things that I'm bad at but like doing may not be the best use of my energy. And then things that I'm bad at and hate doing definitely need to be outsourced. So yeah, I absolutely hate setting up workflows and automations. I also don't even really know how to do it. So why would I spend hours of time YouTubing, Googling, Pinteresting, whatever pieces of the puzzle I can, when I can just hire someone that's an expert in that, and that will save me so much time. This is also where understanding your numbers will start to become really helpful, which I'll talk about in a later bullet. But like when I started to understand an hour of my time is worth X amount of dollars, spending three hours on all these little tasks was not worth it when I could pay someone to do it. And those three hours I could bring on clients. Now, another way you could figure out when you know it's time for VA is, are you just feeling stressed and behind all the time? Are you like, wow, I literally just hate my business right now. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm tired all the time. I'm exhausted. It's probably time to bring on support. And again, you can start with as little as like five hours a month, just doing some tasks that you don't like doing. I promise you taking off these menial tasks might be the key or the catalyst to completely shifting your energy. I knew as soon as I hired that VA and I would wake up in the morning and I would see a Slack message. She's like, Hey, all the call reminders are scheduled for the course. I set up all the calendar invites. I enrolled everyone into the portal. Everyone has their password and everyone's going to be ready to go on day one. I was like, holy shit, that's the best $125 I've ever spent because that was the gift I was looking for with someone that could do all that for me. Now, digging a little deeper into this question, we had a voice note from Rebecca. We'll play that right now and then I'll answer. Hi, Chelsea. This is Rebecca again. I just left you a voice note praising your podcast and your communication. I resonate with all of it. My question is on episode, um, I think that it was um, 163, I believe, you were speaking about a virtual assistant and uh, uh, finding a virtual assistant assistant who specialized in back-end systems. I believe you said that your VA was called Jofi. Now, I have wanted to get exactly what you've said, um, a VA who specializes in back-end systems, in automation for so long. When you're looking for a VA, what do you look for? Because when you go on you know, websites where you can hire VAs, it's just impossible. There are too many people, too many choices. I don't know how to find someone. I would love it if you could drop an episode on this. Thank you. Okay. So great question from Rebecca. You all know, I love my VA. Shout out Jofi. I found her by putting up an Instagram post. I actually made a graphic that said I am hiring and I knew that I needed a tech and systems VA because I just knew that was my weakness. By the way, I didn't hire her until 
probably a year and a half into my business, I had a different VA. And then I started doing a lot of one-on-one work. So I didn't really need as much of her help. And then she started doing more coaching. So she wasn't really in the VA business anymore. I didn't realize I needed the systems and tech VA until I was on a podcast. And all of a sudden I had so many DMs to work with me. And I was like, holy shit, what is happening? Like, I don't know how to work with all these people. So I realized the way I was doing things before, you know, just manually emailing people and having them pay me through PayPal or Venmo and keeping track of things on a spreadsheet and emailing them follow-ups. I was like, that's not going to work. Like if I'm going to onboard 10 new people, this needs to be automated and cleaned up because I'd worked with other people, right? Like when I hired website designers, they would have all these fancy softwares that would send me the proposal and send me the contract and send me the invoice. And I'm like, I need that for my business because I can't serve all these people if I'm doing it manually. I remember I put up a graphic being like, I need people that specialize in automations, in workflows, in setting things up that can help me really just create a streamlined process for invoicing and payments, et cetera. And then I put softwares that I need help with and that I need people to be proficient in. So I was like, I need you to understand these specific softwares because I cannot be training someone from the ground up. I need someone that already knows this stuff. So I put a very specific call out on my Instagram, posted it in my stories. And then of course, people just reach out to you or they let you know referrals or they saw you on this person's page, whatever. And they'll let you know that they want to work with you. Jofi actually followed me because I think she followed my old business coach and she knew that I was one of her clients. I'm pretty sure that's how she knew me. And so she saw my post and my story and she's like, oh my gosh, I think I might be who you're looking for. I would love to apply for this. I was like, no problem. Can you just send me a link to your your rates, your portfolio, like what client work you've done, et cetera. Her application, I was like, oh, she's hired. The way she submitted it made me realize that she understood details and how to organize things. She's like, hey, I know you're looking for a VA that specializes in these softwares. And then she made all these sub bullets of the softwares that she had specific knowledge in and her experience with them and like what clients she helped them with. And then she's like, I also realized that you're looking for automations. Here's what I could do for you. And then she listed out a process of what she would do to help me clean up the automations. And I was like, wow, I'm blown away. Like, this is not what I expected at all. I thought it was just going to be like, hey, here's a few things I'm proficient in. Here's what I could help you with. And, you know, let's work it out. That time that she took to apply and really map out that she knew what I needed and she could provide it, I knew she was going to be a fit. So I immediately hired her and she set up Dubsado, which is where all my contracts and invoices are now. And I'm like, holy shit, I actually don't know how I even operated a business without having any of this automated. So yeah, um, you asked, where do you find one? You know, looking at these specific places, put up a call on Instagram, Facebook groups in order to not make it overwhelming. You need to be more specific. So you cannot just say, hey, I'm looking for a tech VA. Let me know if you find someone. Be like, I'm looking for a tech VA that is going to help me A, B, C, D, E. Automate my workflows. Help me send invoices in a systemized way. Help me audit my time and start to build workflows into my schedule that provide more white space in my calendar. Like whatever you're looking for, just being so, 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 so specific because the more specific you are, the better fits you'll find. This actually goes back to bullet number two. You're going to find more qualified people when you get more specific with your responses. The difference between a tech and systems VA versus an admin VA Admin VAs, which Jofi does do some admin work for me. There's a difference. Admin VAs are just helping you with like a bunch of tasks that could be anything. It could be like, hey, could you just pull this data report for me really quick? Could you get back to that client and help them reschedule their call? Could you throw up um, some time on my calendar to review my upcoming monthly launch plans? Do you think you could actually go into my email list and send a quick email that I'm going to be out sick tomorrow? Like, That's kind of what admin does. It's like executive assistant and they touch all pieces of the business. At least that's my understanding and how I've worked with admin VAs before. Admin VAs is something that I'm going to look for now. And it's something I'm going to be very specific in. For example, I might hire like a podcast admin VA. And that's because I want someone to help me transcribe the episodes. I want someone to help me do more um, data analysis. I want someone to help me more with the social graphics. So that's something where I would be very specific in my ad or like what I'm promoting on my social media or my email or whatever, so that people know when they work with me, you need to have those skills, right? So yeah, be specific, put a call out on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever. And usually people refer people to you 
or someone will reach out to you themselves that has that skill set. Okay, my next big learning lesson is to audit your time and start making decisions on what's worth doing yourself or outsourcing. Now, I started auditing my time by looking at my calendar. I talked about this in the productivity and organization tips for chaotic creatives episode. I started color coding my calendar. So at a quick glance, I could see, okay, there's a lot of blue on my calendar. Blue is for coaching. That means I'm doing a lot of coaching and yellow is leisure. And let's say there's like not a lot of yellow. That means that I didn't really prioritize leisure. So how can I reorganize my calendar to fit that? Now, once I started auditing my time and realizing how long it took me to do certain things, that's when I was like, okay, I need to outsource. For example, creating a checkout process for me, not my zone of genius. Right. When someone like enters their email, enters their credit card information, then they get a confirmation email, like a welcome email. Uh, They can pick their payment plan, all that stuff. That's called a workflow. I do not excel at workflows. Jofi excels at workflows. Many people excel at workflows, not me. So when I figured out how much an hour worth of my time is, me spending like two hours to set up a workflow truly is not worth it. Now, my VA even made me realize this once we realized my Google storage is about to max out. And I was like, can you just move everything from my Google storage to Notion because Notion has unlimited storage capabilities. And she's like, no problem, but this is literally going to take like 10 hours because you have so much material. Like all my courses, all my podcast episodes from two and a half years are in there. Actually, the podcast episodes are like five years. Like this could literally take like 10 hours. So she's like, is it worth it? Let's say her package was... I'm making this up $300. She's like, is it worth it to use up the whole $300 on this when we could just upgrade your Google storage for $20 and have it all be there? And I was like, wow, (laughs) I don't know why I didn't think of that, right? Like this is why having a VA that can see things from an efficiency standpoint is really helpful too. It's like, oh yeah, let me just upgrade for $20. So we don't have to use your package on this and we don't have to use my time on this. We can just save us both time and energy and efficiency and do it that way. So auditing your time will help you start making smart decisions, again, on what's working yourself for outsourcing or automating or just deleting, right? Sometimes you don't even need it. You could be doing this task over and over and over again, and you're like, I don't need to even be doing this. Like, this doesn't move the needle in any way, so let's just take it out of my daily task list. Okay, my next big learning lesson, and this one is, oh, this one is hard for me to come to terms with because it was my background for so, so long, and it's still something I actually help a lot of people do is brand partnerships are not really worth pursuing to me. Now, I talked about this a little bit in the demystifying the podcast world episode, the last one, like the second part, but a lot of brands now work on CPMs, which is cost per thousand. I do not have thousands of listeners per episode and a cost per thousand in the podcast industry is like 12 to $17. So remember CPM is cost per thousand. So let's say I had 5,000 listeners an episode. $12 CPM means $12 per thousand listeners. So 12 times five because of 5,000 listeners would equal $60. I don't know about you all, but $60, not worth it to me. Uh, Not only that, but it's not as cut and dry as like, oh, just putting up an ad. It's a one minute ad. You have to write the ad. You have to follow the brand guidelines. You have to get it approved. If they don't like it, you have to edit it. You have to record it. Most of the time, you don't nail it on the first try. So you have to record it again. You want to place it in your episodes. You have to edit it in. And then you probably are promoting it on social media, email, etc. So you're now promoting another business instead of your own that could net you $60 or more. Now, I don't teach people to work on a CPM and I teach people to actively turn down CPM deals if they are micro creators. I teach people to create content creation packages that they pitch to content teams instead of these digital advertising teams because those teams value content creation. So they're being paid for their time. They're not being paid on their numbers. That's the angle I go for. And those are the deals that are more lucrative, right? You can make like 500 all the way up to 5,000, $10,000, whatever. The biggest deal I signed this year was like a $3,600 deal. And it was so much work. So, 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 so much work. It actually took me away from my business a lot. It took me way more time than I imagined. There was a lot of editing. There was a lot of reviewing things, scripting things, adding captions. Like it was just so much work. And I was like, is this 
really worth my time? Like, I'm not sure. So it's something I'm reconsidering going into the new year is I don't know that I'm going to be pursuing big brand partnerships or brand partners at all outside of some of the affiliates I already have that I'll naturally mention in episodes and when I want to, but working off of a strict campaign timeline and getting paid like $500 to $1,500, I'm not sure it's worth it to me when I'm in a stage of growing my business and really stabilizing things myself. So yeah, I don't know that I'll be pursuing that that much. And to be honest, if you're a smaller creator, like you don't have a huge Instagram following or email list or podcast listenership or anything, I probably wouldn't pursue brand partnerships either. I would focus on mastering your craft, getting amazing at working with your clients, nailing your offers, doing your best with your business first, and really getting to a place of stabilizing before bringing in a brand partner. Okay. We're going to have to make this part two because this episode is way longer than I thought. So let's make this the last point is that I know that Instagram is not the best place for me to focus my resources, yet I still somehow spend all my time on there. I have so much data that guest coaching, podcast guesting, and like doing swaps and my own podcasts are the spots that drive the most leads. I know this because I ask people when they work with me, where did they find me? Most of the time they found me from guest speaking again or on another person's podcast. So why, tell me, why do I spend so much time trying to promote on Instagram stories, creating fun captions, carousels, swipe throughs, reels, all this stuff, when all the data shows me that's not where my clients come from, especially not my high ticket ones. All my high ticket clients come from my own podcast or being a guest on others. So really, instead of me spending time on Canva editing reels, what I should be doing is making a pitch list of coaches that I want to guest speak inside their masterminds and customizing very tailored pitches into how I can help them. I should also be focusing on podcasts that would make sense for me to come on in the business or entrepreneurial space, or even like lifestyle space and just talk about how I could help them. I don't know why I spend so much time on Instagram. I think a lot of us feel this way. It sucked up a lot of our energy. It's just, I think because we're always on it all the time, we just think we're missing out. And I think that's why personally, I've had a hard time focusing my resources elsewhere because it does feel FOMO. It's interesting that I've talked about it so much that I logically understand that that is not where clients come from, but yet I still have this belief that that's where they are. And I think that is because people DM me on there, right? Like people that want to work with me or have worked with me or interested, they will DM me on Instagram. So it feels a little bit like a second email inbox or a text message or something where you're like, okay, yeah, this just turned into a lead. So I think that's like the myth that I have is like, oh, well, I'm missing out on DMs that otherwise could have been clients, which I still could carve out time to like just block off time in my day to answer DMs or check them. But I don't do that. I still am trying to like follow trends and create reels and like try to understand, should I be spending more time on Instagram? And it's like, No, it's that damn dopamine hit. It's the way the platform is built. It's the fact that we're all on there and we feel like we're missing out and like we do get validation from it. Like I'm human just like everyone else. And so, yeah, it has been a very hard thing for me to let go of. And I I don't think I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like I'm not just going to shut down my Instagram, but I, I truly do not need to be spending as much time on it as I do. And I definitely need to prioritize the things that do work for me because I have the data. I don't know how many more times the data needs to tell me like, bitch, what are you doing? Go, go pitch yourself, get off this app and get out there and pitch. So that's something I'm really trying to focus on the next year is like, it's okay if you're not posting every single day, multiple times a day, doing reels in your stories, like it's okay. Your business is not going to go under, you're not going to die. You're not going to lose clients. You don't have to be urgent, right? Even if someone DMs me on a Monday, It's okay if I wait until like Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday to answer. I'm really, really actively trying to not be impulsive with responding to people and making decisions. Impulsiveness is something that has helped me a lot in my business because I'm a quick decision maker. And it's also hurt me a lot because I haven't thought through things. And I know as a reflector, I'm supposed to wait a lunar cycle. And that's something that um, obviously I'm not going to make a client wait 28 days to hear back from me. But it is something that I've been considering more is like, why do I feel the need that anybody that responds to me or wants to work with me, I have to get back to like within the hour or the day. I mean, that comes from my last job in corporate America in general, but it's something I think in the entrepreneurial journey that, you know, if I don't get back to this client, they could go to someone else. So I need to be like the first to respond. It's something that is a mind fuck that I'm working on. It's not a 
a perfect process. It's not something that I love to admit because I've been on this train of like, we need to spend less time on Instagram, but I still spend a lot of time on Instagram. But it's something that I think we all can relate to is like, why are we on here so much if we're not seeing the results we want? And I think it's because we're all on there so much. So maybe if we all get off, can we make like a scheduled Instagram detox together? Because that would help me so much being like, oh, no one's on it. No one's posting. I'm not missing anything. Maybe that would help us. We'll do like an, instead of a spring break, we'll all do an Instagram break and just delete it all at the same time and not have any FOMO. That's a solution that we could try out. Let me know what you think. All right. So yeah, we're definitely gonna have to make a part two because I have so many more listener questions and so many more points to make. So I'm going to put a pin in this and I want to hear from you. Is there anything that I did not answer in this episode that you want to hear of? Because now you have an opportunity for me to answer in the next episode. And is there anything that you found surprising? Are you like, wow, I had no idea about that, or I didn't know that's how that worked, or I didn't think you did that or thought that? I would love to hear your thoughts. You can DM me at Chelsea Rife. You can leave your own voice note. You can find that link in the show notes. You can always email me, info at ChelseaRife.com. And of course, the ultimate, ultimate compliment is if you leave a rating and review. So please, please, please let me know how you found this show. And if you found value out of this episode, I would love, love, love to hear from you. And as a thank you for leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, the written one, I'm entering you into a giveaway to win a 20-minute laser coaching session with me. So we'll pick one topic and get straight to it, and you'll have my undivided attention for a full 20 minutes to make sure that you can come out of that feeling prepared and successful in whatever next step you take. So again, all you got to do is head to Apple Podcasts, scroll down to write a review, leave that review, screenshot it, and then send it to info at chelseareif.com, and you'll be entered into that giveaway. And just a reminder, Amplify the Mastermind for the 2.0 level of podcasting is starting in February. We're enrolling right now and enrollment will close on January 31st. So I know the holidays are coming up. I know we're going to be in the phase of like eating and drinking and being married for the next few weeks. So please enjoy your holiday break. But just know that when you come back, it would be an excellent time to consider Amplify. We can chat in the DMs, email, whatever you think is best to see if this is your best next step. And you can find more details at my show notes. And my new website coming soon, that will be live in early 2023. So stay tuned. I have a full rebrand coming out. You'll hear all about it very soon on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. I hope you learned something from it. And most importantly, thank you for listening. Without your feedback and listenership, I would not be doing this. So truly appreciate you. Have the best holiday. And I'll talk to you next week for part two.